Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so, so much for joining me, Prane Budev, for another episode of the PD Podcast, available on multiple platforms, including Spotify, Apple, Google, and Anchor. It has truly been overwhelming to receive such amazing feedback from our previous episodes, and I hope you have learned as much from our guests as I have done sitting across with them in these conversations. Please continue to share the podcast with friends, family, and colleagues, and... I hope you've been interested or inspired by the content. Please follow us on social media platforms to keep updated and hear extra behind the scenes clips. Today's guest is an absolute legend, not only in pediatric orthopedics, but orthopedics and even the whole field, field of medicine as a whole. I'm so excited to be able to sit down with them and I'm extremely grateful that they have spared some time to speak to the PDPods audience. Professor Reinhard Graf is a retired orthopedic professor from Stolzalp in Austria and is the inventor of hip sonography for infants in the investigation of DDH. Not only did he innovate and develop the technique, which is the most reliable and reproducible one used worldwide, he also classified hips into different subtypes and addressed how they can be managed. He has worked with policymakers and leaders to ensure that universal ultrasound in DDH screening is practiced in Austria, Switzerland and Germany, and this continues to be a great debate worldwide especially as the number of late presenting surgical cases has almost diminished in this population. Of course, he has contributed immensely to the literature with over 250 scientific articles, thousands of citations, and written over 20 books in different languages. A true pioneer and leader in the field, he has been president of the Austrian Orthopedic Society, recognized by over 30 honorary memberships to societies worldwide, has received the Efort Morsha Recognition Award, the Maximus Meritus Award by EPOS, and most notably, the great honorary medal for specific merits of the Austrian Republic. Despite his accolades, he continues to travel the world educating healthcare professionals in the practice of hip sonography, and is truly one of the most dynamic, energetic, and enthusiastic teachers I have met, who has a vision of abolishing late presenting hip dislocations. Professor Glaff, I hope I have done your career to date justice, and want to thank you in advance for taking the time to sit with me. I really wanted to know how you started your medical career. I know you graduated in 1971 and you initially trained as a general practitioner, is that correct? That, that is really correct. I did all the trainings also to become a general practitioner. Then I decided to become an orthopedic surgeon and then I wanted uh, to have a clinic uh, where I could be trained. And the boss there, my later big professor, said, are you interested in pediatric orthopedics too? And I had no idea what is it, and he said, of course, big professor, yes, sir. Then he said, but where then I can stress you and organize it for you that you will be trained as a general surgeon for a pediatrician, for, uh, for, for kids. So I did a general training, so I become also um, um, a specialist in pediatric surgery. I did all the operations. I did tonsillectomy, corrections of the ears and so on. And then 
it was allowed that I become an orthopedic surgeon. And as an early career orthopedic specialist, where did you start with the idea of hip sonography for in infants? What, what spurred you on? My big, my big professor had been in a conference in an international congress, and he came back and had uh, and he said, "I had seen a crazy thing. There had been a doctor with an ultrasound, and he was checking uh, a tendon here. We should check it also, if it is possible, to use ultrasound in in orthopedics. Who is interested?" Nobody had been interested. Nobody. Weeks later, the professor always asked who is interested. Nobody. Yeah, because it was work. And suddenly, one of the senior doctors said, "Next time, when the big boss is asking, up your hands." Boss was asking. Nobody had put up your hands. Senior doctor said, "Graf will do it." And then the big boss said, "Come to me," and he said. One of my friends is an engineer at the Technical University in Graz and specialized in ultrasound. And go to them and check what you can do with ultrasound. This was the very beginning. That, that's amazing. And I know you spent the, a few years uh, practicing not only obviously on infants, but you did a lot of cadaveric work. Baby hip joints following. In this time, I tried to do everything. Yeah, with very primitive, simple machines. Yeah, even in cadavers, uh, in adults, amputated knees, knees. Yeah, and just when I was on duty in the night, I had the idea. My daughter, just in this time, had been around about sixteen months. I take her and I try to to find something, and suddenly I move the uh, the the probe uh, uh, forward and backwards to the hip joint, and I saw a round, unechogenic area. I thought, "Oh my dear, what will it be?" On the other side, the same, a tumor or something else, and then maybe it is the femoral head, and then I. Uh, in a round with other colleagues, everybody had talked about what he's doing, and I said, "Ah, I, I need a cadaver of a baby to check uh, with ultrasound." And one of the wives from my colleagues was working also at the university, and he said, "Give me some money and uh, try to organize that you get will get a cadaver from a baby." And this was the first. And I prepared the cadaver, and it, then we could identify the femoral head. Yeah, it was not so easy because we did it in a water bath, and then we looked there, and nothing was to see. And this discrepancy in the water, we saw the head on the monitor, nothing was to see. And I think this was the starting point. Hypothesis: Maybe the hyaline cartilage has the same, um, uh, the same, um, uh, how you can say it, has the same um, quality like the water. And I'd ask my wife, please give me the uh, the um, nail varnish. Yeah, uh, from your nails, yeah, and then I put it on the skin, uh, on the head, and put it in water again, and suddenly we saw it. Yeah, 
femoral head was here, also on the monitor. Ultrasound has the same behavior in the water like, or ultrasound has the same behavior in the hyaline cartilage like in the water. And then we started to, uh, to um, find or identify all the other structures too. That's amazing. I believe you initially published on over three and a half thousand infants and after each ultrasound you used to partially resect individual anatomical structures to sort of precisely identify and localize various echoes. Is that correct? Yes. And how did you then translate this into clinical practice on alive babies? We, uh, then it was not so easy in this time to get an ultrasound machine. But I had a good, very good friend, he was working in a company and I, I asked him and he said, ah, I will help you. This ultrasound machine is sold to a clinic. I will tell the manager of the clinic, unfortunately it takes two weeks time that I bring you the machine. I bring you the machine for the two weeks and you can work with it. But please don't damage anything there. Then I have a big problem. And then I started also in babies to see, uh, to look what we can see there and then step by step identified also the different hyaline cartilage, uh, the different uh, structures in the hip joint also. Later, when it was working, we, yeah, most of them we did on cadavers. And then, of course, we checked also babies step by step. Yeah, when they come to the clinic, yeah, we made X-ray clinical examination, and then we did also ultrasound. Yeah, and what happens with the time? Because it was very well working, and I convinced my big professor it is even possible to see a dislocated, decentered hip joint there. He had said, "Are very careful." Yeah, but what happens? Mothers are chattering. And mothers knows what is ultrasound because of her pregnancy. And then they said, hip joints, there is a young doctor up in the mountains in this clinic, go to them, he's checking your, the hip joint of your baby without any radiation, yeah, and x-rays. And so more and more came and step by step it was spreading. And you published your first paper in the Journal of Pediatric Orthopedics in 1983, describing, uh -huh. I think, 600 hips. The first, the first paper was published in 1980. Yeah, absolutely the first paper, but it was in, not interesting for everybody, for, for the others, because nobody could believe uh, what I had described there, that this is really working. Because even my professor told me, be careful, when this is really true, what you explain me here, then this will be a revolution. And I thought, we have to change the old professor. He's completely sclerotic. He's speaking about a revolution and I, as a simple, just in training, medical doctor, yeah? And this was amazing. And the, the, my big professor um, said a very important thing, which is, uh, um, a sentence which is a had been accompanying all my life. He said to me, Dr. Graf, convince me that you are right and I'm wrong. And this was very important. It is independent what in what level we were discussing. When we speak about 
research work, yeah, the facts are important, not whether you are a professor or a simple medical doctor. But it's amazing how, obviously, you found out that ultrasound could be used for this purpose and obviously reduce the need of x-rays and therefore reduce radiation doses to these babies. So very acceptable to parents. But how did you convince the orthopedic colleagues and, and field to accept this? It had taken many years because when uh, my big professor stressed me and said you have to go to this international congress and show me first what you want uh, uh, your presentation there and i will check it and then go ahead yeah and it was amazing it, in this time not amazing because everybody was laughing about me ah graf he comes with his weather forecast yeah, because there is snow and clouds and storm and he always says, oh, this is the hip joint. Yeah, and it had taken a long time to convince other doctors that it's really true what we see there. And it was amazing that one of the, f uh, one of the first who was visit uh, visiting me, doctors from, an, from other clinics, had been a young German doctor and he was so astonished that it is really true what we do there and he convinced his big professor in the clinic in Germany that they should do it in the same way and then it was spreading more and more. I mean that just shows how your persistence of what you thought and believed in uh, was just as necessary as a sort of open-mindedness of your boss at that time because that genuinely allows something to organically develop and create genuine invent innovation in the field. When you first started spreading the word and training these people from Germany, how did it then lead to now it being almost necessary with universal screening in Austria, Switzerland and Germany? That is a very, uh, it's a very long story. Um, it is amazing when I look back, the screening was not really introduced by medical doctors. The screening was indirectly introduced by the mothers because the mothers had known was this ultrasound because her pregnancy there. And I remember one of the um, radiologists called me and said, what are you doing there, Dr. Graf? There was a mother with a baby and I wanted to make an X-ray of the hip joints. And the mother told me, no, this is not up to date. Today, the hip joints are checked by sonography sonography what you are doing there and then the mother had taken her baby and said if you cannot do it then learn it i go to Stolzalpe and i check it by sonography so the mothers introduced it the mothers made stress that first the radiologists had learned it then of course we orthopedic surgeons and the pediatricians generally it is not important who who uh, does it it is important that the doctors who do it, or the persons I would like to say, not only the doctors, they do it, have a certificate, has a spe special training, and we have very strong rules in our countries 
how you can get the certificate. And the next important point is, it is to train other doctors, it is not, it is not uh, enough to be a professor or from orthopedic surgery or a radiologist. Even the trainers for hip sonography must have a certificate that they do it in the standardized correct way. Otherwise, it's better to do nothing. I, I completely agree and I'm fascinated by your answers because it obviously was quite a journey to get it accepted and it's amazing it's the parents who really pushed for it. Even in my German English it is understandable. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Um, let's go on to the classification. How did you come up with the graph classification? Um, obviously it really does help guide us how we treat these and monitor these and even in the UK where we have sort of selective screening we always look at to see what is the alpha and beta angle and then decide how we're going to manage these patients. You mentioned first comment, you mentioned selective screening, yeah? I start with the end, you can forget it. The data from the last 50 years, international papers is quite clear. In 54%, yeah? Complete laxated hip joints have no clinical signs, no instability, and are no risk. I started 50 years literature. This is the outcome that says the clinical examination cannot solve the problem. It is better than to do nothing, but cannot solve the problem today. Yeah. One of the highlights of hip sonography, maybe I can explain later. These are the facts. General screening was introduced by the mothers because the mother said, why this baby is checked and not my baby is checked. Yeah, I want to have prevention is better than operation. And so step by step it was introduced. And the facts and the facts are quite clear. In the, the countries you mentioned before, we have a general screening. But you will not believe Mongolia yeah, had introduced a general screening three years ago. Another, uh, 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 another uh, um, uh, thing is, all over the world the government pays for the army, but not for the health system. They do not like uh, to pay for the health system. Can you explain me why in many countries they pay for a screening or minimum a local screening? Yeah, because even for the government it is much more cheaper to pay for the prevention and the operation. Only one example. In all, it's all over the world where, the, where they do hip sonography in this technique. It is the same. We have uh, papers and uh, publications uh, from more or less from China, from Mongolia, of course from the European countries. Yeah? Only one example. In 1991, general screening had been introduced in Austria. One year later, in 92, the Austrian government wanted, wanted to know for what the government is paying. What was the outcome? 
the outcome was the following. With, with in one year, the conservative treatment rate dropped down 50%. Not an over-treatment we expected. Why? Because in the time before sonography, when according our clinical examination, when we had not really been sure, we ordered an abduction device. Yeah? And the insurance later said, we always had the feeling that the doctors only uh, order this abduction device because they want to earn, earn money. And in the time of sonography, you could only order for the, for the baby the device when you had also the facts in the hand, the sonogram. Yeah? Next is, the costs for the general screening and the treatment costs for these babies had been one-third lower than only the treatment costs in the time before sonography. And more or less this statistic is confirmed also from papers from Great Britain, uh, from China and elsewhere. Yeah, that is it. As you know, we still have selective screening in the UK and I'm a staunch advocate for pushing towards uh, universal screening for the, and the data supports that. I must interrupt you. I want to a citation from Shakespeare, England, Shakespeare. He told me at midnight, Graf, to screen or not to screen is not the question. It is politics and I'm not responsible <laughs> for your politics. On the other side, on the other side, yeah, the hip luxation is the most common disease in the locomotor system worldwide. It is, yeah, I tell you another story. I was in a country, uh, a, a country in this should be, we should not forget, yeah, in a country, and I would not mention this country now, but I had seen, because I come to this country not as a tourist, as a medical doctor, a lot of diseases I never had seen before, only I had learned in the book. And in the evening I was sitting with other colleagues, colleagues there and I said, why you are so interested in hip sonography? When it is at this location there, you will not be dead, not die, and so on. You can walk, you are limping, you can, but uh, that is it. Yeah, you have other problems. Then the colleague said, why I should marry a limping lady when I can marry 100 healthy ones? Yeah, and in this country, a wife is nothing. And a limping wife will not be married has no chance for a good education, and if she's happy, she can clean the toilet. And this is also the motivation why you do it. Yes, and we're gonna come on to your continued role in education, because you know it's inspiring how you continue to want to teach this method to essentially abolish uh, late presenting DDH. But if we go back to when you f sort of first started this, uh, you were one of the first people to go on to the ASG fellowship for surgeons mm -hmm. from Austria, Switzerland, mm -hmm. and Germany. I know you traveled to multiple centers, including Oxford, San Diego, Toronto, but also uh, Nemours Hospital in uh, Wilmington, Virginia, where Theodore Harke worked. Yeah. Uh, he's obviously the other, um, the other method used to assess ultrasound. Uh, tell me, was he uh, 
doing this at that time? Was it something where you were both uh, doing it on different sides of the world? How did his method come about? I, I know Dead Hockey very well. He's really a very nice guy and he's really a gentleman. Yeah, we had become friends. This, this story is that um, when I had been in Wilmington there, uh, we did in this time, we had started more or less in our region a general screening and we had a lot of experience, measurement technique types and so on and so on. And um, that in this time was presented um, that he had found a new thing. It is possible to see with ultrasound the femoral head. But we had been five years before, yeah? And uh, my friend Dad was a little bit disappointed about, and he tried, had said, uh, maybe we can make a compromise to combine this and this and this. And uh, the next step is that hypsonography had been developed step by step in the last 30 years. What we had known 30 years ago, uh, or 1983 or 5, you can forget today. It is not the standard of today. Yeah, we've done a lot of research work. And now uh, the, the difference was, was, uh, was growing up more and more. On the one hand side, I would like to say a standstill. On the other side, we had learned. Today, it is not enough yeah, to say the femoral head is inside or outside or it is moving. We have to decide, is this hip joint, first we have to decide, is this hip joint according to the age acceptable? What is acceptable for four weeks is not acceptable for four months. We, take to, we have to take to into account also the age. When we have a pathological hip joint, then we have to decide, we must know what is the pathology inside, because this is important for our treatment, how we tre treat it in the best way. Only to say the head is outside, that's history. We can forget. And when you don't do it, you are behind 30 years today. And one of the highlights is in hypsonography, the so-called type 2C, the critical range. We had learned, we had, then done a mo uh, uh, we had done a lot of mistakes. My professor had been convinced in the first time it was possible to, s to detect a so-called con congenital dislocation. I checked babies. Three months later, six months later, I had to go to the big boss and he said, forget hypsonography, you had missed a luxated hip joint. Then we did studies and then the facts had been, when we did ultrasound, in this moment, the femoral head was inside. Three fact was, months later, the head was outside. And then we made a lot of research work and studies and we found out all these hip joints has, it, it has one common sign. They had been in this small range where the bony roof is rather poor, so that the head is inside, but with the time the head is pressing away the cartilage roof. Yeah? And this hip joints has no clinical signs. Yeah? And this was the reason that we decided, and yeah, and da, 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 a lot of research work, 
we start to treat also these hip joints from the type 2C range. And what was the outcome? We had never a so-called neglected case later. And this is also the explanation for neglected cases. Every from, everybody from us did clinical examination and everything is okay. And months later it was relaxation. What did the big boss say? They said, you have to be much more careful to look to the hip joints of the baby and don't look to the hip joints of the nurses. Yeah, bad joke. But that is, that is the reality. And this is the highlight that we can pick out these hip joints which just on the border have no clinical signs and if we do nothing, later they have a dislocated hip joint. And if you cannot classify that type to C hip joints, what will happen? Papers from, some from a country, yeah? It is written, it is not possible to detect all the congenital dislocation by sonography. When you cannot classify type 2C, it's better to do nothing. I'd like to thank you for naturally going back and answering my initial question about the classification, which is you've answered beautifully, especially about the 2C, because that's really the one that there's always been this attitude about that they may not improve. Um, now, you have been such an immense force in spreading the knowledge through education courses worldwide. I know you have traveled to every corner of the planet, leading on well over 750 courses and training thousands of healthcare professionals. How did you develop this specific program and why do you think it's so important to train people who are physiotherapists, radiologists, sonographers and surgeons? And why do you feel like this should not be something reserved for just ultrasonographers? Uh, generally, I would like to say we need everybody to solve this problem. I would not like to solve, to reduce this problem. Yeah, And I told you who does it is not important. He must have a special training. Yeah, and it is very, uh, and we have a standardized training program and how we do it worldwide. Yeah, we had learned how to train, how we trained the, uh, I, I would like to mention uh, Dr. Sally Scott here. He was a pioneer, he is a pioneer in Great Britain here. Yeah, but the first courses she organized, we did in complete other way how we do it today. We had learned how to do it. Yeah, this is the first. So it is not important who does it, but he must have a train, a, a special training, also the trainer. This is very important. On the other side, in the last 15 years, we had started um, that we trained in the different countries, colleagues, doctors, yeah, to be a trainer, yeah that they, they train their own colleagues and we must not do it anymore. Yeah? It is unusual for medical doctors that they give knowledge to other doctors because everybody wants to keep it in your own hand. No, when you want to improve the world, yeah, maybe, then you have to give the knowledge to others and it is very well working. We had, they had trained uh, the colleagues in Mongolia, we had trained the colleagues in China. Three weeks ago I had been in Iran, yeah? We have very close connection also with it, uh, Iran, yeah? More or less all over the world, yeah? And now it comes up more and more because the colleagues who had been, uh, had become the trainers, um, train, um, 
their own colleagues in their own language. And having attended your course myself, you know, I know that it's all about reliability, re reproducibility and standardization. And that obviously has led you to obviously develop not only uh, the, the technique, but also things like the cradle uh, and um, the probe. Tell me how that sort of development came about. Uh, yeah, this uh, this develop uh, what we had developed on, on special devices. Um, in principle, it is not so important. One of the big advantage of hip sonography is that you can do it with all the ultrasound machines. There must not be a high technology there. Simple machines can do it. Uh, to improve the technique of the examination, yeah, uh, we developed, we did a lot of stu studies. It was not so that in, in the morning I was awoken and I said today I will find a new type or a new construction to <laughs> examine the baby. Yeah, we did all the mistakes you can do and this was the reason that we developed this special device and this probe guide system to avoid the tilting effects when you tilt the probe because then you can make a wrong diagnosis. We did it before, but today it is no need that you do the same mistakes we did 30 years ago. And we are just, we have new ideas to, uh, to, uh, to examine the baby with automatically, yeah, that the machine does it for, for us. But today I'm not frustrated. Everything was fixed, yeah. We contacted two international companies, yeah, with this idea, yeah. Because the engineers told me at the university, yes, when your brain can do it, the machine also can do it, yeah. It is not so difficult, yeah. Uh, with, uh, everything is digitized today, it is not so difficult. We pre presented, um, uh, to the managers what we want to have. The first question was how much pieces we will sell. And then they had been disappointed and nobody does it. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue because my next question was going to be very much about where do you feel uh, ultrasound screening is going to be in the next few decades um, and did you really believe in machine learning and the role of artificial intelligence? Because there are some uh, companies out there who are producing these portable ultrasound guides yeah. that connect to your uh, you know, portable yeah. device. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the screening. Screening is politics. Yeah, and it depends from the health system in the different countries. Yeah, do you have other problems maybe in South America than in our countries and so on. But on the other side, I had seen when even in, in uh, countries like Mongolia and, and uh, China and so on, they are so interested in, it is a problem for the whole the population there because a limping uh, person cannot really walk, cannot work, when not work, uh, cannot uh, earn money, cannot pay for the government. <laughs> yeah, that is it. Yeah, th this is the first. The second is the next step, the next step should be that uh, we have trained enough trainer in the different countries and there is also a special organization, I would like to say, in construction 
international uh, delegates are there who uh, the aim of this um, this group is to keep the standard high and that we don't reduce the standard yeah with some guidelines yeah so that not everybody can do or say I do it in a modified way modified way we did we did a lot of mistakes no need to do it again and the future will be I think scanning in an automatically way we have the idea how we can do we only need a company or something we do, we do not like to earn money with this no I earn no, not even one pound or euro for all these things because for us and my crew it was important that we do something for the babies I can pay my beer for myself yeah but now it is important that one of the companies said yeah it may be a good idea we always try to improve our machines uh, let's go and then we want to uh, stress the company to construct a special probe according to our ideas that you must not examine the baby with your hands you put the probe switch on and the picture comes out in the perfect way it is possible the engineers at the university told me that is possible we only have to work and, to, uh, and so on yes. but before you earn something you must do an investment correct and I'm looking forward to mm. the future and hope yeah that this is the case yeah uh, you also remain to be involved in global leadership including the ICODE group which stands for the international yeah. interdisciplinary consensus committee for DDH evaluation uh, despite being a relatively new entity what are the goals of the ICODE group this is the ICODE group is this group I mentioned before yeah this international group um, try to keep the standard high special rules for the trainers rules how to educate and train the colleagues who do hip ultrasound later that is it to keep the standard high in my um, uh, opinion it is very important that this international group is working yeah to keep the standard high I am not active there I'm only in the background because it is important that the others keep the high when if I, I can if they ask me I will say my opinion yeah but not more yeah otherwise no chance and finally I know that despite being retired for many years you have a fully booked year with courses booked around the world and you must get tired of traveling so what do you do when you're back at home I drink your wine sounds fantastic yeah yeah is this is this enough yes no um, <laughs> no not only. of course I had learned to be relaxed too yeah and um, uh, yeah I'd like to say yeah uh, professor Graf I, I play uh, with my wife golf yeah 
it's very good for the soul and also for the coordination for the brain yeah and um, when the the ball is not flying I give the ball a name from one of uh, the colleagues I hate and then immediately the ball is flying for everyone listening, Professor Graf has been very generous with his time and also uh, with the information with regards to his technique. Um, there's more information at www.graf-hypsonography.com and I believe you're next in the UK uh, for a course in Cardiff later this year on the 24th and 25th of June 2020. Uh, more information can be found at www.doctorsacademy.org. So in conclusion, Professor Graf, this has been an amazing uh, interview and I'm sure both the audience has listened with fascination about your esteemed career. I'd love to hear how you came up with this and and how you've essentially spread it out to become a a worldwide phenomenon, um, how you developed your classification system and how you continue to be uh, involved in education today. I want to thank you again on the behalf of myself, uh, the PDPods audience, the medical community as a whole, and uh, on behalf of every child and family that has avoided surgery and disability due to your contribution. Uh, your continued commitment to and enthusiasm for teaching with the sole aim of improving the lives of children is inspirational. And I, I don't think I'll ever forget your Shakespeare quote today. And having been on one of your courses, I don't think I'll ever forget lower limb, plain labor. May am I allowed to give you a, a last comment? Please. You mentioned Cardiff. There is no need that they go to Cardiff again for the course because they do the ultrasound courses excellent. They only invited me because they wanted to demonstrate that the dinosaurus is still alive. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to this episode of the PD Podcast. I look forward to seeing you next time.